I think you should straighten up a little bit. I think you should. I think you know you should you should look at yourself in the mirror sometimes and say, look, what am I doing? Why why am I this way? You know, I, I, you need you know you need a kick in the ass once in a while. And lately, you 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 really needed it. And I, I worry. I I mean it. I worry about you. Maybe it's all a goof, and you're just goofing when you're acting this way. I don't know why you're doing it, but it's not good. It's not healthy. It's not right. Not that I'm saying you don't have it together. I'm sure you do. You're you're a genius. And you really are. You're a genius. Yeah, I know. But the reason I can say I know is because when the word genius is not something that's individually, you know, it's not anything that's individual. It necessarily has to take credit for. It. Do you know what I mean? If a person is indeed a genius, then that geniusness has been given to him as a gift. Mm -hmm. So. It's not as though it's something that I have done. That's why I'm able to say I know instead of thank you. Because if I say thank you, I would be taking the credit for it. But instead, I say I know because I know that I got the gift. All right, let's get the show on the road. So, welcome to the first episode, first proper episode of this new podcast. Um, I don't know exactly what the title is going to be, but I've decided I'm going to take a slightly different approach from the previous projects. Um, I'm going to try and do like a solo run. Um, this before I've had hosts and a co-host, I should say, and it's, it's been a bit difficult to kind of line everything up. Um, but you know, I'm just going to be doing uh, something different. I'm going to just try, you know, solo rambling, see how that goes. If you hear anything in the background, I'm playing TF2 in the background, so it's like an ASMR kind of thing, you know? If you want, you can just tune out my voice, um, and just focus on the, you know, relaxing uh, sounds of me getting my ass whooped, because I suck at this. I'm kidding, I'm not that bad. Um, but I could improve, you know, I'm still fairly new to gaming, I say. Um, relatively new, because I only, I only built my PC like earlier this year, my own PC, because my old laptop couldn't run anything, you know, gaming on that was a nightmare, uh, honestly, I mean, uh, so yeah, I couldn't do shit on there, but I got my nice new PC now, and I finally, uh, got the free time in lockdown to, you know, game on it, get my game on, but I've just come out of, uh, lockdown for like four months, and, uh, that was not a very pleasant experience, I did not enjoy being locked down for four whole months, um, you know, university during lockdown is not fun, I didn't enjoy it. So yeah, um, I've just been inside for like a lot of the time. Still been going to work because I'm a retail, I'm an essential worker. Um, I'm basically like a veteran. So, thank me for my service, okay? I'm like, I'm a veteran. You were in NAM? I was in the, uh, <laughs> I was in the fucking Sydney lockdown. <laughs> selling fucking bread to people for fucking three months, um... I mean, I've been selling bread to people for three years. It has not been that different, honestly. It really hasn't. But, you know, I'm out of lockdown now, and I'm... Yeah. I'm, I'm a little... My social skills are so fucked. They're so fucked. I mean, I caught up with a friend today. Um, I won't mention his name. But, you know, we went up to town. We had a nice meal. Uh, we got some ice cream. You know, we had a good time. It was a good time. Uh, it was very good to, you know, catch up with people again. Um, I enjoy catching up with people. I enjoy catching up with friends. You know, it's, uh... I think it's, um, as much as I, uh, I don't really feel very, uh, positively about his work as a whole, I think it was, uh, Bronze Age Perfect App who said there's nothing more powerful than male friendship. And you know what? I agree. I agree. Um, but, yeah, so that, it was good to, you know, catch up, you know, because, uh, I really haven't seen that many people. I've seen, like, one, uh, person, my best friend. Uh, you, probably, you guys probably know him, this is my previous podcast, so I'm not going to mention uh, that uh, very much. But, you know, um, you know, I've been seeing him, but, you know, it's like, and my boyfriend, obviously, on a regular basis. But, you know, I mean, like, as much as, you know, I love my boyfriend, I love catching up with my best friend, uh, you know, you see the same few people over and over. It's like, you know, I, I got other people I want to catch up with as well. And I haven't been able to for, like, three months, you know, I keep in touch of like social media and whatnot, um, but I'm not very good at uh, keeping up with people I don't see face to face on a regular basis, you know, I forget to just message them for like ages and ages and ages, it's, um, 
I think it's a problem. Um, but I think I think that's just I think people that's a problem in general. Even if it wasn't um, social media, I would still want to do. That. I know people in general. Like you know, as soon as you move out of school, you stop talking to people. You know, it's crazy. Um, it's not crazy. I think I think relationships require effort, and I think that there are some where it's just like no, it's not worth it. I don't know. I'm not a relationship expert. I'm not. I don't have amazing people skills. I'm uh, somewhat introverted. Um, I probably have like undiagnosed, somewhere on the autism scale, undiagnosed. You know, Pro maybe I don't, I don't. I don't agree with uh, self-diagnosing. I think self-diagnosis is cringe. I don't support it. I would not um, advocate for the self-diagnosing of adolescents with mental illness. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a pretty un uncontroversial uh, proposition, a position to hold. I think. Um, I'll just double check that this is recording properly, because I don't want to fucking turn out... Okay, yeah, that looks fine. Okay, sweet. Anyway, yeah, um, so yeah, you know, I mean, it's been a pretty rough period of time, but, you know, I came out, you know, I'm living my best life, um, you know, living there, uh, being as good as I can, considering the circumstances, you know, that's the, that's the most you can ask for, really, is just still being happy despite everything. Um... But yeah, no, university, university is uh, much less enjoyable during lockdown. I don't appreciate it that much. Um, I'm trying to think of what's been going on that I can talk about. Nothing in my personal life. Oh yeah, I mean, I did uh, bend uh, lockdown rules uh, a bit, quite a bit. Probably probably more than bend, but I'm not sure I, how much I want to talk about that. But I did, <laughs> I did bend them quite a bit to uh, try some uh, psilocybin. Which some of my view, my audience, not viewers, whatever, some of you may know uh, by its other name, magic mushrooms, which was very intense, very very intense. I mean, you know, I've done acid before, um, and you know, so I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I kind of know what to expect. But no, this was a whole another. Um, I don't know what the, I don't remember what the dosage was. Something like I don't fucking know. But I, I learned there's a trick. You uh, soak them in lemon for about uh, twenty to thirty minutes. Um, before taking them, and uh, you'll get a much stronger trip. So that's what I—that's what we did. Because I was with friends, and uh, yeah, and it was—it was like I—I uh, I refer to it as a cosmic defilement because I felt like it felt like getting fucked by the cosmos, by the universe, more or less. It really was just uh, indescribable. I don't even think I have the words to describe it. Um, truly, yes, it was a very. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a massive advocate for recreational psychedelics use, the legalization thereof. Um, so that's just me disclosing my biases. I would not, I personally would not recommend, if you want to get into psychedelics, I would not recommend that mushrooms is the first thing you try. I would say probably one tab um, of uh, acid. But maybe, maybe even half. I don't know. I started on half. Um, but I mean, I think one should probably be fine for most people. I wouldn't. I think one's fine. Um, and then, I, I mean, I don't even know where I'd say, because I think I, the most I've ever done is one tab. Um, but that's usually because I've had stuff to do while I've been on them, so I didn't want to go up to hide. And, you know, I've only recently started getting into them, relatively speaking. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I would not recommend mushrooms as the first psychedelic you take if you want to get into that. But, you know, if you're looking for something a bit stronger, a bit, something a bit knock you around a bit, if you don't find... Uh, so you feel like, I don't know, maybe get up to like four or five tabs and you think, you know what, I'm something a bit strong, something that's going to really kind of give me a really memorable and potentially life-changing experience, then yeah, mushrooms, go for it. But, you know, be warned, you know, it's very intense, have a trip sitter. Have a trip sitter. Um, and, you know, it was particularly, I don't know why, but, you know, um, it was particularly strong for me compared to the other people. Which is weird, because previously, you know, LSD, I've handled relatively well compared to other people on a similar amount, and then weed uh, d doesn't do anything for me, which I'm pretty sure is genetic, because my dad had the same problem in his in his youth, his young adulthood. Um, I'm not familiar with any uh, studies on the heritability of uh, weed tolerance, but I'm sure, I think, you know, that does, I think the fact that it lined up for me and my dad that way, without without even... Yeah, I, th I think there's something to that, but you know, I could be entirely wrong. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. I might. I'll look into it eventually. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, yeah, big massive fan of psychedelics. Big fan of their 
uh, recreational use and the legalization thereof. Because um, I think it's Pol is it Poland? I don't know, but Poland is a. I think they're the country who has kind of like legalized the um, possession, decriminalized the possession and uh, use. I don't know if it's the usage of, but drugs and they've seen a massive drop, you know, in uh, drug overdoses and uh, similar things. And of course, that's not entirely due to the policy. There are obviously cultural uh, context issues to take into account there. So I don't want to, you know, misattribute that. But I think this policy did have a significant impact on that. You know, and I'm I'm glad it did. I'm glad it did. And I would love to see more countries uh, take that initiative, take that step, um, and just kind of have a very strong, like kind of libertarian stance on like uh, drugs. You know, I mean, I, I don't consider myself a libertarian um, by, at least not not that much. I have libertarian sympathies. I, I am a former, I guess I would, would have called myself a uh, bleeding heart libertarian previously. And I still have sympathies with that uh, branch, that school of subset of libertarian thought. But overall, no, I would not call myself a, a libertarian, at least probably not in the traditional sense. Um, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I mean, I would rather I would rather ally with the libertarian over a fascist or a communist. So that's where I stand on that. But I don't I don't I don't consider myself a libertarian, which I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, um, not that there's anything wrong with being a libertarian. Uh, just it's just not to my taste because I don't I don't believe that you know all industry should be you know free of regulation. Like I like free markets more than not. I don't I don't think they're perfect, but I like them more than not. Like uh, I I would I think ideally my ideal economic system is like a Nordic model, which is is capitalist. It's a common misconception, I know, this is probably such a talking point that's been done to death. So I, I won't spend too much time, you know, going over it, belaboring it. But yeah, no, Nordic countries are not socialist, they are uh, market economies. I believe that's what the that's what the government calls them, and certainly I think that, um, yeah, no, they're capitalist, somewhat. So I, I look, I don't mind free markets. I am leftist in as much as I don't like neoliberalism. But I view that uh, as more of a, in terms of foreign policy, and also as a cultural phenomenon. A f cultural and political phenomenon, I suppose. I don't like neoliberalism, but economically speaking, I do kind of like the Nordic uh, regulated, uh, regulated capitalism, the Nordic model. That is kind of the ideal economic system, to me personally. I mean, there are a few things I'd change, obviously. I mean, I don't, I don't know if the Nordic system has UBI. I mean, personally, I would... If I was in charge, I would institute a UBI, a universal basic income, similar to that of Andrew Yang, $1,000 a month. That's what I would do. Um, maybe not 1000 necessarily, but something to that. It just has to be a big amount. Um, and I would probably have a minimum wage. Not 15 I think 15 um, would have a lot of negative economic... I, I think maybe 10 Because a UBI would, you know, it's like we have to pay people a livable wage. I mean, sure, but like... Raising the uh, minimum wage for a certain point because a lot of inflation causes unemployment, blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, I think the libertarian stance uh, is, is correct in as much as raising it to 15 is not a great idea. And look, I agree that, you know, there's a lot of poor people in America and they need more money. Well, I think that's where the UBI, because I, I, there's the research on it is obviously much more limited than the kind of vast bodies of research into that and the minimum wage. But to my knowledge, the... Uh, impacts of UBI, uh, there are not that many negative impacts in there. I would say it's much better for society than a $15 minimum wage, and I think would address the same problems. So if I had to choose between $15 minimum wage and $1,000 a month UBI as proposed by Andrew Yang, uh, I would go with the UBI. I don't believe in raising the minimum wage to 15 but I do agree it probably is too low in America, obviously. Um, I don't know what it is in Australia, at least not off the top of my head. Um, so that is, that is my stance on that. Not that anyone asked for it, but, you know, there you go. Um, so that's where I stand on that. I think UBI is a great idea. I mean, you know, as cringe as Yang is in the eyes of many people, especially uh, his more recent uh, occurrences. I, I, don't, I don't know what word I should have used there. But, I mean, more 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 recently than previously, I think. People, people have fallen off. He's fallen off. People in... 
in the public eye. He's not as good as he used to be. I think back in the day, you know, when he really got his campaign going, because I was at the forefront, I was there, and oh my god, it was such an exhilarating feeling. It was, oh man, to be on the Yang gang train back in, uh, what was it, 2018? Probably 2019. Late 2019, maybe, I think it was. Oh man, it was so good. There was such a good energy, and the memes were <laughs> fucking great. I'll say that much. Um, um, but, yeah, so I 100% I support universal basic income over a $15 minimum wage. Um, I just like, I, yeah, it's a great idea. I think Yang was a real game changer, kind of bringing that to the table. I don't think anyone else had really proposed something like that before. And it really got, it got a real thought. I like that. I mean, I'm probably, uh, I wouldn't call myself like a hardcore Bernie Burn necessarily, but... Yeah, I like politicians who kind of bring these kind of new ideas to the table. Um, I got I me. Mean, I, I don't. I, but then again, I don't think anything uh, Bernie did was necessarily new. And he wasn't perfect. But I, I like him more than like someone like Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden or Donald Trump, um, so to speak. Um, but uh, yeah, so politics. Um, I know I, I have a reputation for being very political. Um, Probably thing about politics. I've been wanting to talk about um, politics and music a little bit because Anthony Fantano was talking out of his fucking ass on Twitter. I fucking yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to be like. Oh, you know. I don't want to jump on the fucking anti-Fantano bandwagon because like it's such a it's such an obvious thing to do. And I feel I'm a, I'm kind of like not I'm not necessarily a contrarian hipster, you know. So it's like, oh yeah, Anthony Fantano bad. I mean, look, when he when he's not talking about music, he sounds like a fucking idiot. When he is talking about music, he ha he's a very mixed bag. I mean, he has got some good opinions, and, and he clearly appreciates the art form, but he has some biases that just make him say really dumb things, like well, most of his Young Lean reviews, apart from the one for Stranger, but like, Jesus Christ, man, he's a fucking idiot. But, um, yeah, I mean, politics and music, um, ever, ever weird, there's not much good political music, in my opinion. There's, uh, Godspeed You, Black Emperor, um, because I think most good political art, music included, uh, there's, there's, there's an ambiguity to it. You know, there's, a there's not really, you don't, you don't come out and say exactly what you think. There's some ambiguity. There's kind of a uni I don't know if universality is exactly the right word, but there's some ambiguity. You know, it's not you're not being completely transparent about what you believe. I mean, in comedy, Million Dollar Extreme, for example. I mean, World Peace, Million Dollar Extreme presents World Peace was probably one of my favorite comedy shows, and that is for partially personal reasons, um, which I won't get into. But it's a great show. I mean, they're fantastic. Um, comedy they were they kind of fell off admittedly um sad world i mean sad world isn't political per se but there does seem to be some level of vague social commentary on like uh technology you know modern society neoliberalism cyberpunk kind of virtual reality it's very vague you know but again that's what i like about it it's, there is kind of a social relevance but it's not slapping you in the face with transparency. I mean, returning to Godspeed, you Black Emperor, who makes some of the best political music. I mean, their best work occurred earlier in their career before they were kind of explicitly and transparently anarchist, you know? I mean, it, it was a, you know, you could, if you put two and two together, it's like, oh yeah, these guys are probably anarchists, but they didn't have, uh, you know, like press releases like they did for like uh, Luciferian Towers or uh, uh, Yankee UXO. Um, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't have that, and like, you know, and the you know the peak of their work, um, F sharp, A sharp, Infinity, or Slow Ride for Zero Canada. You know, there is there's no press release with like, oh yeah, you know, burn burn down the prisons, kill the capitalists, etc., etc. Yeah, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, exaggerating, obviously, uh, but you get the idea. I mean, and and people who are familiar with the band's legacy know exactly what I mean. Um, yeah, so they're, once they kind of came out and said, okay, this is what we believe in, this is what our music's all about, and this coincided with a noticeable drop in the quality of their music. And, you know, 
I think that I think that's not a coincidence. I think, um, I mean, one of their best tracks is from a Slow Riot for Zero Canada, which is a, a BBF3, and the message of that is very ambiguous because you know you have this crazy street preacher who you know you have these heroic strings that's like building up as some sort of speaker of the truth, some sort of prophet, and then it turns out he just steals song lyrics from uh, Iron Maiden, I think. And it's clear he's a bit loopy. So you're kind of left in a very ambiguous thing. Well, what is the band trying to say about this? You know, they've got this strange character, and they don't... You know, there seems to be, in one hand, a praise, and on the other hand, kind of a, an unspoken criticism. And you, they have these monologues of him, of these heroic, uplifting, beautiful, heart-wrenching uh, crescendos and climaxes. It's, uh, it's really beautiful, and I think it's probably one of their best works. I mean, the whole EP, really, is one of their best works. But I think it's also one of the best pieces of political music um, out there. And like I like I like political bands. I mean, British rock band Enter Shikari. I'm big fans of them, um, and they're they're very explicitly open about their politics. So, but I, I like them. But I appreciate them more from a compositional standpoint than a lyrical standpoint. I mean, their best album, in my opinion, um, is either The Spark or Take to the Skies. Um, like, it takes the skies as still political, but not as explicitly and openly as such as their other work. And the spark was much more about kind of more emotional introspection. And again, that's something I like a lot for personal reasons as well, not just, you know, objective, as, as objective as you can get, obviously, with musical uh, judgment. Um, but you, you get the point I'm trying to make. Um, but I think a lot of people really just want to, like, see politics, a lot of people have to think, oh, all, all art is political, which is always such a bullshit statement. But they really do, I mean, the whole thing of Vaporwave is kind of like, like oh, a criticism of mall capitalism, or whatever, is just, no, I don't, it's not that deep, it's not that deep, it's just slow down 80s pop music, whatever. And, like, I like some Vaporwave, I'm not, I'm not speaking harshly because I, like, have a vendetta against the genre. I like some vapor. There's good stuff there, but like at the end of the day, it's just like the op It's just like inverse nightcore. Like nightcore isn't a good social commentary on like Japanese culture. So why treat vaporwave like uh, it's a? Uh, oh, it's like a, a soulless, you know, moral capitalism music. It's like no. I think if any genre has a right to have kind of social commentary, kind of forced onto it, it would be hyperpop, because hyperpop was basically just taking pop to its logical extremes. And, you know, there's all sorts of things you can say about, you know, um, well, not necessarily the politics, but the philosophy, the social implications of pop music. I mean, John Moore is... I love him. Great guy. I've met him at a show once. He was, he's fantastic. But he has a very interesting kind of idea of pop music and a very interesting philosophy of it. I mean, he's a very smart guy. He's very leftist. He's a very smart guy. Um, and so hyper-pop you know, 100 Gex, you know, they they really are very creative songwriters, they're very talented, um, but hyperpop as a genre has just stagnated, it really has, I don't think, I don't think it's doing anything new, because here's the thing, because hyperpop basically took pop trends and kind of like overblown production, kind of meme culture, pushed everything into a kind of, it's logical extremes, but of course the logical extreme of pop music is that it eventually gets stale and stagnant, and I, I don't know, I'm not saying this is intentional, but that is what happened with Hyperpop, and I think that's a very interesting kind of, some probably interesting commentary you could make on that. Um, and, you know, I mean, I like a lot of the ideas in Hyperpop. I think there really are, there really is talented artists there. There's a lot of talented musicians in the genre who are very talented producers. They're very creative. I mean, returning to 100 Gex again. I mean, their debut album, I thought there was a lot of potential on it. I liked a couple of songs. I mean, I, didn't, I was going to see them live, but then COVID happened. Oh man, that was ages ago. But yeah, um, they have some actually great songs on that debut album. I mean, 800 Decibel Cloud, for one, I mean, that's a great song. I mean, um, trying to Hand Crushed by a Mallet as well. Oh, that, there's, some, there's some great bangers. Um, but then the songs that aren't that. This song, this song's just meme bait, like, oh, I need I need help immediately. Or, like, Money money Machine, look. I get that Money Machine bangs, whatever, but, like, it, it really is not their best work. It's obvious meme bait. It's just not, it's not, it, once the novelty wears off, 
Because, I mean, to an extent, all their songs are based on novelty. Ironic novelty. But Money Machine more so than any of the other ones. And that's the song that made them big, and that's the song that is their kind of reputation. But it's not their best song. I'd say it's one of their weaker songs, one of their weaker proper songs, since, like, the aforementioned I Need Help Immediately is not a proper song. It's kind of like a sound collage as an interlude. Um... So, you know, and then, so I thought, you know what, there's some good ideas here. I'm really excited to see where these guys go next. Because they have done something really special, really experimental, that shows a lot of promise. And they didn't do anything. There was a remix album, which was shit. It was shit. Not, most of the remixes were bad, they were not interesting. Like, generic dubstep, or just kind of noise, slabs, fucking experiments. The fucking Injury Reserve feature was fucking awful. Oh my god. Um... Um, yeah, no, it just was not good. And then there was a couple of B-sides, which weren't good. They were kind of boring. I can see why they were B-sides. They should have stayed in the vault. They kind of felt like they were going for quirky, but just ending up lame. And then there was a couple of live recordings. I mean, look, I, I, this, I, this is coming from someone who personally is not the greatest fan of live albums and live music. Like, as, as something you listen to, rather than something you go to an actual show and experience or see on a DVD. But... Um, this was clearly very early on in their career. I think it's um, 800 Decibel Cloud, which is, as I said, a great song. And a song called Small Pipe. Now, Small Pipe is entirely redundant. It's just two notes over and over. Uh, it shouldn't have been there. <coughs> and 800 Decibel Cloud, um, Laura just sounds awful. She sounds, she does not sound good at all. It's, uh, it's not good. It's an awful performance. So... You know, there's just a bunch of remixes that are very generic, nothing special, or just border on really bad. And then, you know, there's a couple of B-sides which are entirely uninteresting, which no one wanted. Like, uh, you know, there's there've been leaks of, like, songs they've played in exclusive sets. They have a large back catalog of music they haven't released. A lot of it was better than those fucking B-sides they put on the remix album. I really don't know why they chose those two specifically. Waste of time, waste of the audience time, waste of my time. Um, so that was a very disappointing. I was like, oh, this does not spell good things. And, you know, they've had some features, since I haven't listened to all of the features they've had. Um, they did a collab with Health, which I loved. I, li I like that a lot. I mean, the whole album it was on, the Health album, uh, Disco 4, is fantastic. Can't recommend it enough. Um, and if, if you like that album, also check out Gorilla's Song Machine Volume 1 Deluxe Edition, which is a... It's now, both of them are like albums of uh, collaborations between, you know, the main artist and a bunch of other artists. And Song Machine Volume 1 was like the first Gorillaz album that I really liked. You know, before that I felt I liked the idea of Gorillaz more than the actual stuff they put out. Or I like some songs, but I felt like a lot, very hit and miss. I mean, I still think Humans is a pretty, very weak album. Um, but that's beside the point. Getting back to 100 Gex, they had that feature on the 303 song, which the 303's comeback song. <laughs> And it was a pretty weak feature. There wasn't much special about it. Uh, parts of it reminded me of uh, old Crystal Castles, which, you know, I like Crystal Castles, so I can't complain that much. But it wasn't anything special. Um, there's a couple of, I can't remember the other songs. I think there's one or two other songs they've been on. And none of them were particularly um, interesting or good. And then there was that song they put out, um, Sympathy for the Grinch, which is like a kind of Christmassy song. And it's just like, there's nothing there's nothing special about it. That spark that of creativity that made so much of their other zany stuff good is not there. And the other thing as well is that they like the it it is just like stupid horse. Cause this they did the, the songs they made the song Stupid Horse, which is like a kind of, you know, ska rock trap fusion, which is very good. Um and then there's Sympathy for the Grinch, where they basically do the exact same thing, just not as good. So it feels like they're just lazily ripping themselves off. Um, you know, so, uh, their output has been very disappointing, and then the, the whole of, you know, the hyperpop genre as a whole has also, their output has been very disappointing recently. I mean, it has devolved into, like, 99% basically Nightcore-inspired trap production with pitch-shifted-up vocals. And, you know, there's some, there's some good artists who make good music in that kind of style. There's some good songs that fit that bill. But it's 99% of the genre, and it's been like that for like nearly two years now, and it's like, when are you guys going to do something new? And that's the thing, because they don't, because it's fundamentally, hyperpop is just that. It's hyperpop, so it becomes hyper-stagnant and hyper-stale. Um, 
And I, I'm not, you know, saying this because like I have a vendetta against hyperpop. Or I hate hyperpop. I think, oh, it's cringy Tumblr or internet music, whatever. No, not at all. I think there really are some interesting uh, production ideas and experimentations. I mean, especially in the, you know, the Gex album. Like I said, 800 Decibel Cloud, Hand Crushed by a Mallet. They have really good songs. And they have really good production ideas. I think hyperpop has a lot of potential to evolve if it's evolved and taken a kind of ideas and techniques are implemented in more serious and mature songwriting and ideas I think it has potential to be really good and there are albums that do that uh, I think it's Fishland by Underscores I think is the name of the album let me pull it up on Spotify right now yeah fi sorry Fishmonger by Underscores and the best song on there that I can personally recommend is Dryland 2001 which is a collaboration with an artist called Knapsack uh, who, who song their song Synth Knapsack Okay, they have a single called Synth Grass, which is also really good. I, I love it. Um, so yeah, that's an album that kind of takes these hyperpop-inspired uh, production and ideas um, and kind of incorporates into kind of like a pop-punk, kind of alt-rock kind of soundscape. Um, so it, it's really good. And, and anyway, the reason I bring this up is because 100 Gex has said, oh yeah, we're putting out... Um, a new album next year. And it's going to be more serious and mature. And Laura's not going to use auto-tune. And this raised my eyebrow, because this is exactly what I wanted the hyperpop genre to do. And we haven't had, like, a proper full-length uh, solo material from these guys in, like, two years. And it sounds like they're really cracking down and trying to really do something new. And be mature and uh, more serious. I don't know how well they can pull that off. So I'm very interested, because this could potentially be the artistic evolution that Hyperpop needs to have, because Gex are ultimately the forerunners of the genre. I think anything they do, the rest of the genre will follow somewhat. So if they kind of evolve and push the genre in a new direction, then I think everyone else will kind of follow suit and help evolve this genre that's been stagnant, a genre that has a lot of potential, a lot of talented artists in it, who just uh, refuse to innovate. So I'm, 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 I'm interested, but I'm cautious. I'm cautiously optimistic. Because I think, you know, as I've said, they're very creative songwriters, um, but, they, but they are very good at wasting their potential, unfortunately. So I am interested. I think if they pull this off, this could be really good, but I think it's going to be very easy for them to fumble. So I'm, I'm a little worried in that regard, but we'll wait and see. It's not coming out till next year, um, so who knows? It's up in the air. Maybe they'll, they'll pull through and release a great album that will kind of push Hyperpop in a great direction, maybe into uh, post-Hyperpop, I don't fucking know. <coughs> who knows? Uh, I think post-pop's already a genre, anyway. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, interested to see what happens. Because these are very, uh, very talented musicians, and it's it is kind of sad to see them using their talent to basically just be like ironic meme. Like they've turned into a punchline in the same way that dubstep has. Remember how dubstep um, was just kind of like a punchline in MLG videos, just like a split second of a gaming footage to serve as a punchline. Like that's that's it. The entire genre is a punchline. When you know there were interesting ideas within it. And I mean, if you if you look at the actual roots of dubstep as well, um, I, if any of you guys have like an hour of free time, there's a fantastic documentary on YouTube called All My Homies Hate Skrillex, which is about the roots of dubstep and uh, you know the original like UK dubstep and British dubstep before you know it got Americanized with Skrillex. I mean, there was some really good stuff in there. There's some actual actual bangers. I mean, the UK makes some great bass music. I mean, you know, UK jungle drum and bass. Like, that stuff is amazing, you know? You know, jungle music as well. I mean, that's what inspired a lot of the CCRU, you know, Nick Land and Mark Fisher, you know, whose works I really love. And whose works I, especially Land, I should say, specifically, whose works I uh, connect with uh, a lot whenever uh, I'm on psychedelics. I don't know why, but, you know, whenever I have a psychedelic experience, eventually it ties back into Nick Land for some reason. I don't know why. It just does. Um, which is very interesting. 
but yeah, I mean, the jungle music, jungle music was a big inspiration for the CCRU because they were based in Britain, and that's what kind of jungle music took off. I mean, that's where you know, dubstep took off. And you know, it's still, uh, still around today, but it sounds a lot harsher. I mean, you listen to like some old jungle music, or you listen to, uh, I think it's uh, Koki, was one of the old dubstep artists back in the day. I don't, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but you listen to something like uh, what Mode Step is putting out today with a song like uh, WIP or Alarm or... Uh, um, on My Mind, which is a collaboration they did with uh, Headex, I think it is. You listen to that, it sounds a lot heavier. So it's evolved over the years, and they have taken inspiration from the bastardized American version that they helped create. But, you know, they've, I think Mode Step is very good. I mean, I mean, they did kind of turn into, like, a Pendulum ripoff for, like, one of their albums. They did, like, uh, Evolution Theory, which is just, like, a generic dubstep with some live rock instrumentation, which, you know, was uh, it was alright. But, you know, it, it didn't really do enough to make them stand out. And then there was London Road, which is kind of like a Pendulum album, but with kind of like more hard rock influences. Like, think if Pendulum took more influence from like, uh, I don't fucking know, Smashing Pumpkins or Queen uh, in like on their album In Silico, maybe. Um, or maybe Emotion, I don't know. Um, and then they were just like, okay, we're not going to make any more albums, we're just going to do like singles of like a Monster Cat EDM. And then, yeah, I mean, so. They got a large... I mean, London Road is probably their best project. There's some great stuff on there. Um, I'm, I'm rambling now, honestly. I mean, I think I've been rambling for a long time at this point. But, I, I mean, I'm very passionate about music. I really do like music. And I do like philosophy. I mean, I like the CCRU. I think they were really doing some good work. I think they did some... They were, very, they were crazy. They were out there. I think a lot... Of, I think people need to kind of look at a lot of what they did and kind of take it in more serious directions. I think a lot of it's been abandoned. Because, you know, there's, you know, the land and the accelerationism. You know, that, that took off. Um, but there are other ideas as well. I mean, the spinal catastrophism, for example. I mean, I'm reading about that. There's a book by um, Thomas Moynihan, <coughs> who has a published in Urbanomic, Spinal Catastrophism. A Secret History, which is a really, really brilliant book. I'm, I'm not all the way done through it yet, so take that with a grain of salt, because it might turn out to be shit in, like, the second half or whatever. But it's a really good book, and it's a really great exploration of kind of, like, this idea of spinal catastrophism, which, to summarize, is basically that the human spine is kind of like a map of our evolutionary trauma, our evolutionary history is kind of mapped out on the spine. So by analyzing the spine, we can gain insight into our evolutionary history, and human psychology, the human psyche, because the human psyche, um, its ailments are ultimately linked to afflictions of the spine, according to this theory. Uh, do I think it's 100% true? I don't know. I mean, it is built on some very shaky foundations, like uh, Daniel Barker, who was a fictional character made up by the CCRU, and then the uh, J. J. G. Ballard, I think it is, who was a fiction writer. But there, is, there's also a lot of scientific uh, underpinnings as well. There's some readings of Kant in there. So there's a wide body of all kinds of things. There's, it really is just a mishmash. And I think it's probably, I think that's probably, at its core, it's generally true. I think there is a lot of truth to the idea of spinal catastrophism. I think the CCRU is really onto something. Um, you know, but they just were too focused on, like, you know, listening to jungle music and fucking doing amphetamines or whatever um, to really take it anywhere. And, you know, Mr. Moynihan has stepped in and he's done a very good job um, putting it together and kind of fleshing it out with his own touch, because obviously I think he has to bullshit his way through a lot of it. I don't think the CCRU put as much thought into it as he did, but I could be entirely wrong. I mean, I, I, I don't want to disrespect the CCRU. I love their work. I love what they've done. Big fans. Um, if I had a time machine, I would. one of the first things I would do is I would go back in time and I'd see that concept, well, not a concept, but the philosophy presentation, supposedly, where Nick Land just lay on his back and just croaked into a microphone while jungle music was playing in the background. That's what I would do if I had a time machine. I would go and I would see that live. Because that's a historic moment in, in my eye, in my book, uh, in my mind. Um, uh, but yeah, Spinal Catastrophism, A Secret History by Thomas Moynihan. Uh, a good book. Um, I do recommend it. Uh, it's very dense, so if you're not used to very like dense, kind of wordy philosophy, it maybe give it a miss. But if if you if you don't mind philosophy that's a bit verbose, a bit wordy, you know, imply assumes you have some background knowledge of a few topics, which I don't have too much of, admittedly. Um, but you know, it's pretty good. If you if if you if it's not for beginners in philosophy, 
if you're a beginner, this is not the book that you should start with your quest in philosophy. If you are a beginner to philosophy, I would personally recommend Camus, Albert Camus. I mean, that's how I got into philosophy, was uh, picking up The Stranger from my high school library. Um, uh, that was a great book. And then The Myth of Sisyphus. Um, I, I tried tackling some Kierkegaard, but I think at that point it was a bit beyond me. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, I think it was, uh, is it with uh, Fear and Trembling? I'm not that familiar with Soren Kierkegaard's work, but I think that was it. The, li the librarian, great guy, great guy. He, he really was kind of a, very engaged with the few people who actually did borrow books from the library, and I was one of them. Um, he recommended that to me, but it, it went over my head a little bit. Um, I think he recommended it to me after I picked up Kevin. Uh, but yeah. Um, so if you if you really want to get kind of a Guinness star in philosophy, I would suggest Albert Camus, uh, The Stranger, followed by The Myth of Sisyphus. Um, uh, and then from there, I, you can really uh, go uh, look around. Maybe maybe Zizek. I don't know. I haven't actually read Zizek yet, but I think that might be a good kind of way to follow up um, Camus, I think. I don't know. Um, I mean, I need to read Zizek. He seems like a smart guy. He seems like a smart guy. If you want an introduction to Nick Land, um, I would say Templexity. It's more if more obscure. You know, everyone everyone knows, um, you know, the Dark Enlightenment or Fang Demeanor, and then some people know about uh, Thirst for Annihilation. Not many people talk about his book Templexity, which is a shame because I actually think it's very underrated. I think it's one of his his better works. Um, I, yeah, no, I recommend if you want to get an introduction to Land, I would say. Um, Templexity is not a bad starting place uh, as like a whole holistic work because Fang Demeanor is really just a collection of essays um, and like academic pieces um, whereas Templexity is kind of a holistic full-length work it's 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 full-length but it is short it's digestible I mean I read it in like a couple of days I think I think I sp sped read it uh, in like a day and then I kind of did properly over two days um, so that's what I'd say, and uh, you can get it for free as a PDF on uh, book.org, book which is B uh, sl um, hyphen, I think. Whatever. You, you, if, look, if you want to, if you look around enough, you'll find a PDF. Otherwise, it's like, what, uh, $3 for like a Kindle version or something, because he doesn't fucking publish fucking physical copies of his work anymore, which is dumb, because like, I, I want physical copies of fucking Chasm. Yeah, mate, we, we need like a Fang Namina. Volume 2, which includes, like, all the work that he's put out digitally since Fang Namina, which would include, um, Chasm, uh, Phil Undo, um, uh, the one article he did in, like, fucking the Design Ecologies Journal, which no one has read, which I think is Designing the Afterlife, uh, Templexity, um, and there's some other books that are even more obscure, I think Jingjang Horizons, um, Dragon Tales, which I, I haven't read any of these, I just know they exist, because I don't fucking read... Uh, Kindle. Uh, so yeah, there's a uh, those I would love to see those and uh, uh, his old Xeno systems things and obviously the Dark Enlightenment as well. I would love to see Urbanomic put those into one uh, like uh, the collected writings of Nick Land, 2011 to 2022, whatever. I don't know. <coughs> oh yeah, and that he, I think he started doing Substack as well. I, he hasn't put out that much. I read one post he did about schizo number shit. I didn't understand any of it. I mean, I kind of did, but. Not really. He he really is. He's out there. I don't know what the fuck goes through his mind every day. I wanted to finish that book on Bitcoin he's supposed to be doing. I don't know what happened to that. Anyway, point is that I would love just another physical copy of Nick Land's collected works to go over and read while I'm on acid, because that is the best way to enjoy it. I mean, I, I say that half-jokingly, but like I read Meltdown while I was on a tab of acid, and holy shit, it really hits so hard. It hits so well. It, you can really vividly picture... The, the fucking catastrophic kind of capitalist AI takeoff that he describes. It, it really vividly comes alive yeah, if you read it on, a, on acid. Or, uh, however much you, you can still read on, I guess. Because uh, not everyone can read uh, while still on acid. Um, but it really was a very interesting experience, that. Um, and yeah, you know. I, I, I do like Land. I think... I think he is a little underrated, and I think that is because kind of people treat him as a joke, and I get why uh, they do. Um, and I'm not saying you have to take Nick Land super seriously, because he's he obviously is a little nutty, a little loopy. 
but I think there are valuable criticisms of capitalism within his work. Because the thing you have to understand is that Nick, uh, he has a weird thing where he kind of likes capitalism because it is uh, so deterritorializing, de so anti-human. For most people, uh, they don't like those things. They don't want those things to happen, and they don't want to be like de-wilded, de-territorialized, torn apart by like a fucking AI capital runoff or whatever the fuck. So the thing that I've done, the thing that I've started doing is basically seeing what Land likes about capitalism and then treating that as a criticism. So Land says, oh, I love capitalism because it's a process of creative redestruction. Because it's like an AI from the future. And I'm like, here's what Nick Land says about capitalism. And this is why uh, it's bad. It's a great, it's a great, because I think he really does have some very interesting things to say. And I think once you kind of break it down and kind of understand it properly is more meta, because obviously, you know, capitalism is not an AI from the future designed to bring itself into existence. But metaphorically, it does work like that. And that is an insight that I kind of put together during the calm down of my uh, uh, psilocybin trip. Um, I was like, oh yeah, Camille Pollard and Nick Land just write about everything. I should just trust that with my gut instinct. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's definitely a great idea. Whoa, trusting Nick Land due to psychedelics? Anyway. Um, so yeah, no, I think there are valid things in his work. I think you change the framing and you really do have a fantastic criticism of capitalism, really. Because I think he really didn't understand it in a way that few other thinkers did, and I think that applies to the rest of the CCRU as well. I mean, it's not a coincidence that, you know, Mark Fisher came up with capitalist realism, which is one of the most uh, respected, albeit niche, kind of criticisms of capitalism from the left leftist theory of, like, the 21st century, you know? It's not a coincidence that, you know, Fisher, who came up with these that, that criticism that took off so well, and Land, who really does have these underappreciated things to say about it, it's not, a, it's not a coincidence, and they both came from the same rogue philosophy department of Warwick University. I think there is a connection there. And I, that's why I say the CCRU is very underrated, and that more people need to learn from what they were doing. I mean, Thomas... <coughs> I've got the hiccups, holy shit. I mean, to, to bring back to Thomas Moynihan, you know, spinal catastrophism, I think... I mean, I'm not going to get too much into what I'm doing with that theory, but I am kind of fleshing it out into my own... Uh, things. I'm, I'm working on, you know, a, a book, I mean, I'm sure some of you are aware, I've been working on a book that's kind of expected early publication uh, next year, 20, early 2022, and uh, it's going to be a general overview of kind of the main problems with kind of modern politics, like, a, you know, an analysis and evaluation of democracy, alternatives to, demo you know, democracy, economics, uh, you know, culture, so on and so forth. It's kind of broad, but it is also very kind of focused in a way. Because the problem with the, my previous attempts at writing is being, I'm just like, oh yeah, I'll just write a general anthology of just random topics. But the problem is that, you know, it's never focused and there's never a clear direction, so it just never goes anywhere and it gets stagnant. I never finish it. But with this, I've kind of narrowed my focus. But, you know, while I'm working on that, I also get ideas for other stuff. One of the other things I want to do, um, I, I'm not going to get too much into it now because I don't know if I really will go ahead with it and I don't want to spoil too much. Um, and, you know, I want to build up hype and excitement for my mysterious and esoteric future. But I do intend to do something very interesting with uh, spinal catastrophism and kind of build it into a larger theory uh, that also draws upon uh, Camille Paglia, among other things. I'm, I'm leaving it vague, but this, it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be very out there. It's going to be very unique. We'll get there eventually. I have I have other things to do. I've got to finish this book, and then I. But before I even really finish the first rough draft, I got to get through the end of the uni semester. I mean, I got three assignments coming up in the next few weeks. That's gonna be lots of fun. So much fun. I'm gonna love it. It's gonna be great. I'm kidding. It's gonna suck, especially since it's you know online learning. It's much harder to focus. You know, I'm not. I'm not. Uni classes aren't even going back. I'm not gonna be back in person until like next year, which sucks ass. But you know, I can't do anything about it. So I'm just gonna make the best of what's currently going on. I'm gonna live my best life, and I'm gonna have a good time, and I'm gonna enjoy myself, despite the current circumstances. You know, you know. That's what I intend to do, and uh, yeah, that's that's the best you can do, really. Like, what are you gonna? You're gonna. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> the current circumstances are so strange. Like the best thing you could do is like enjoy it, somewhat. Well, you're gonna be you're just gonna be miserable all the time. You're gonna be miserable. You're gonna. I learned this trick from Sam Hyde. As unusual as sources that is, his his videos on Hyde Wars do have some good advice. 
sometimes, and one of the ones I learned was uh, outcome independence, which is like, you know, you, you don't want your happiness to be, uh, your happiness should not be dependent on things you want to happen. So if things don't go your way or something you want to happen, if it doesn't happen, your happiness doesn't, it's not dependent on that happening. So things don't happen the way you want them to, because they, they, they're not, they won't always do that. That's life, unfortunately. It's sometimes cruel. But that doesn't mean you should be sad, it doesn't mean you should be in a, in a rut, it, should, it doesn't mean you should be miserable. You know, you can still be happy despite things not always going the way you want them to, but despite things sometimes going wrong for you. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So outcome independence, that's something I learned from Mr. Hyde. I can still be happy, I can still live my best life, no matter what's going on, no matter the circumstances. And, you know, that approach has been really good during COVID because, you know, I've just been inside all the time. I haven't been able to see lots of my friends. I've been stuck doing online learning, which isn't great. But you know what? I can still be happy. I can still live my best life. And that's what's important. And that's what Mr. Hyde has taught me. Mr. Samuel Hyde. So thank you, Sam. Not that you're listening, but whatever. Um, and that really is, uh, yeah. So that's something I've kind of adopted, so... I'm living my best life despite the circumstances, despite the fact I gotta fucking get through three assignments, which I have not done that much work on in the next few weeks, and then, you know, I'll, you know, then I got the rest of the time, year to myself, like a few months, I'm gonna take up more work shift to make more money, you know, because I work part time, I have fucking time to kill, I'm free, like, I'll be free most days of the week, I may as well put that to good use, make some money to spend on, you know, save up for my future, and then, uh, you know, f focus on getting some stuff myself, more books, you know, more, uh, more adult stuff. No, I'm not going to be very specific at all about that. But that's all you need to know. Probably some of that too. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's, that's what I'm going to be doing. And, uh, yeah, that's probably what I'll be doing in the future. And, uh, probably doing work on this thing as well. Um, you know, cause I wanted to get back into podcasting for a while. I haven't done it in ages. Uh, you know, I've been listening to, uh, Catching up on podcasts, uh, especially Contain with Barrett Avenue, which is one of the best podcasts, and uh, uh, Fake Andy Warhol, aka Mr. Don LaShawn, author of uh, Warhol Christian, one of my favorite books of all time, which I highly recommend everyone go out and read, uh, Warhol Christian by Don LaShawn. Go out and buy a copy right now, right now. Um, but he started up a podcast, and uh, you know, he's, he's a great guy, you know, I chat with him on Instagram, and he's really cool, he's very smart, he's very, uh, has a good sense of humor. <laughs> He's cool. Um, you know, so I got a great, a great, um, what's the term? Um, parasocial relationship? I'm kidding, it's not parasocial, we're cool. Um, you know, so he started a podcast, and you know, I listened to stuff, and you know what, I'm just like, you know what, this is inspiring me to get back into the podcast business. So, like, inevitably when I advertise this, he's gonna be like, you, like, did you get, you written me off? He's not gonna say that. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, it was a little inspiration. <laughs> I'm not trying to rip him off. I mean, if, 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 if you're listening to this, I'm not trying to rip, rip, rip you off, man. I love your stuff. <laughs> you're just, like, legit. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, like, immediately after I say everything, because it just sounds like I'm being disingenuous. But that's, that's just what I do. I just have, like, that's a, just a tick. I'm just, like, very casual and chill. I'm kind of, like, uh, I just laugh a lot, you know? <laughs> that's just me. Um... But yeah, no, it, it's good to start up a podcast again. It's good to get back in the swing of things. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think I will just probably end up going a more solo approach, a more rambling approach, because, it, you know, as much as I do like doing stuff with my co-host, um, you know, organizing with people is a hassle, and, the, the, you know, the, when I tried earlier this year to get it going, I'm like, what if I brought in three people? And it's like, realistically, could I, could I organize a podcast? Could I get, you know, three people? Could I get them all together on a regular basis? to the point where it wouldn't be a hassle and it would it would be worth the ever hassle and just you know the, li the limited time because lining up you know two schedules is sometimes difficult especially my previous fucking co-host who I mean I, you know I don't want to shit talk him behind his back but he slept in all the fucking time so you know I mean getting I have to wake up someone who wouldn't even be awake on time um you know but yeah I don't want to be shit talking I don't want to be backstabbing him I don't want to be uh, you know nasty I don't, I don't want to spreading dirt. I don't, I don't respect that kind of stuff. But that's just how it was, unfortunately. So, I mean, and then three people, I mean, dear God, you know, that would even be even more of a hassle. It wouldn't be worth it. You know, I don't, I'm probably going to be able to get, like, everything lining up once a month, especially my boyfriend's work schedule. He's, like, working nearly every day of the week. Holy shit. 
It's unbelievable. It's not even in university, and it will be soon. That's going to be very fun. Anyway, um... So, yes, I think I will be kind of doing... I mean, I'll bring in other people for interviews, and I'll bring in, you know, my old... You know, Warg or my boyfriend as a co-host every now and then, maybe, I think. Uh, I think this time will just be more experimental and freeform. More so than the previous stuff. Um, and it's good to be back in the... It, I mean, I like what I'm doing, you know? I mean... I think I'm probably going to wrap this up soon, but, like, thinking about, you know, in the moment now, thinking about, you know, what this conversation is probably going to sound like, I'm happy with it. I think this is a good new direction. I'm happy to see where I go with this, and I think I'm going to push forward. I'm going to try and get the this podcast up and running. And, uh, yeah, it'll be a very fun experience, and, uh, yeah, hopefully there'll be uh, very good content soon. Uh, good guess. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, I am spitballing. I'm spitballing, you know? I just randomly decided, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to start, break, break out my mic and start recording. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what I am doing. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, hopefully the results are good. I don't know, I mean, I'll put, put it up, see what the feedback is, and then we'll decide from there whether to go ahead with this or not. Um, a very, a very spur of the moment. But I think that's some, that's sometimes that is what some of the best art comes from, is very spur of the moment, in the moment kind of thing. I think that's, that really is where some of the best art comes from. Some of the best jokes. Some of the best, uh, music. I mean, that's why improvisations are such a, can produce such gold sometimes. Because they're very in the moment. There are some things you can't just plan. There are some things that you can't plan. They just have to happen, spon spontaneity. They just have to come from that, you know? But sometimes just that's just how things are. Um. But yeah, I think I've, I've said enough. I think I've talked for long enough. I think, you know, I, I've covered some good ground. I've talked about a lot of stuff I'm very passionate about. Um, and uh, I hope this has been interesting. I hope you guys have enjoyed this listen. And uh, please let me know. Um, please let me know. Please uh, subscribe, blah, 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 blah. Um, because I would love to keep doing this. I hope that this new format is good and I would love to go ahead with it and bring in guests and all sorts of things. Because God knows, people don't want to be listening to me ramble, like, for an hour every single episode. Absolutely not. Um, <coughs> but uh, anyway, yes, I think I will wrap things up about now. Uh, thank you very much for listening uh, to the... I mean, I don't know what I want to name this. I think the old name for this podcast, The Shitland Tapes, is not tenable. I don't think I can... <laughs> I don't think I can get away with that. I don't think that's possible. I don't think it's a fantastic... That great a name either, to be honest. To be quite frankly honest um but yes i think that that will pretty much sum it up for today this uh semi i say pilot it's not really a pilot because i think the last one i did with uh my friend and my boyfriend is technically the pilot for this i think on reflection as nice as that kind of was i think i like this better but that's not better necessarily but i'm gonna just try and go ahead with this for now and see if it pays off. So I will wrap things up about here. I'm, I'm, I'm rambling, I'm very sorry. COVID has just fucked my shit up so bad. Like Time just bleeds together. <laughs> I barely even know what day of the week it is on any given day. Anyway, I'll catch you guys whenever I decide to make the next rambling whatever. And we'll see if we have any guests. I don't know, we'll see. Depends what's happening. Anyway, uh, have a fantastic day and uh, hope that everything is good in your life. Hope that everything is fantastic. And uh, if not, just remember, a little uh, outcome independence goes a long way. And um, I'll see you guys in the next episode of my unhinged fucking schizophrenic ramblings. Because that's what these are. I'm gonna fucking kill you, I'm kidding. <laughs> anyway, that's it for me. See ya. What a fucking great way to end the episode, Friday.